Welcome to Sex in Van City, the podcast about sex, love, and dating in the city of Vancouver and beyond. Today we are focusing a little bit more on the beyond. I thought that it would be really fun to interview my older brother, Jonathan, who is six years older than me. I have been reading a book about toxic masculinity, and I just thought it would be really interesting to interview someone who grew up in the same household as me about sex and dating to see if there were any differences between our gender and the different things that he grew up with. And also, this podcast needs a few more male perspectives, I think. So I am very, very grateful for my brother. I love him so much, and I'm so proud of him for everything that he opened up about. But I also wanted to give a content slash trigger warning for people who suffer from alcohol addictions, mental health issues such as chronic depression and anxiety, or eating disorders, and body dysmorphia, because we do get into some topics about that. Though not super intense, these subjects are brought up, um, as well as some uncomfortable sexual experiences, but it's not too serious. But if you feel uncomfortable or triggered in any way, please feel free to pause. Do not feel bad about it at all. Again, thank you for listening. I am so glad that you are here. Okay, so I am joined today by my brother, um, whose name is Brother. He doesn't actually have a name. <laughs> oh, I don't, no, even get, if you'd like I don't to... get credits title on this. No, of course you do. Um, if you could introduce yourself to everybody. Uh, hello, my name is Brother. I don't have a name other than Brother. Just kidding. My name is John. John, Johnny, Jonathan. Slight expectation was for oh. lots of names. <laughs> Um, so how do you feel about, um, being invited to go on your sister's sex and dating podcast? Um, well, I've had a, a few weeks or months now to like mentally prepare myself. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm more or less excited, but I, I will say you've done a, a pretty, uh, pretty good job with your, with your podcast. Although there's sometimes some things come up that I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to fast forward through this. I know. Or I, or I send you a text saying, do I need to come there and murder someone? But <laughs> yeah, I think in the beginning, I've been thinking about it now too. And I'm like, I can't believe I've shared some of the stories, but now that I've been really open, I think it leaves the door open for my guests to be open. I, I think that's really important actually, especially if you want your guests to open up, you kind of have to lead by example, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I, how do I still have a job when I've told this? On <laughs> that is the downside to podcasts especially once you start gaining uh some momentum and then you kind of have that little voice in the back of your head that like am i what if someone googles me right uh so the reason why one of the reasons why i thought it'd be so interesting to talk to you about dating is because we grew up in the same household and though you are married now i thought it would be cool just to talk about yeah just dating and the way that you know we were talked to you about dating and sex and stuff growing up so um when you were growing up and dating, what were there like any rules that were that you felt like were imposed on on men like when you were dating for the first time or even as you got older? The man or in my case as a young kid, the boy leading, but there was there was that expectation that like you had to put yourself out there and you had to ask. Um, and that's a fucking terrifying thing. I don't like I don't think I'll, I'll, I think more women now realize it that it's become a little bit more balanced but like being a 14 year old kid and being like hey uh 
do you want to go on a date or the, the, you want to go out with me? I was like, what does that mean? Go out with you. Like if someone was like, Hey, you want to go out with me? Be like for a walk or like, what do you mean? Go out. <laughs> like, what does that mean to you? Um, but uh, I don't know that in, in my, my day too, like I was right at the beginning of cell phones. So, and I think cell phones made things a lot easier for people because a text message is so, I mean, there's some stress to it, but at the same time, you're just kind of like sending it's done. My, uh, my version of text messages were notes. And that was always a terrifying thing too. If you were like macking on a girl in, in, uh, in class, yeah, I said macking, date myself. Um, and you'd have to send handwritten notes and you'd have to trust like the 10 people in front of you to pass that note along and not get caught. And then, you know, your teacher catches you and reads it. And then everyone uh, knows that you asked so-and-so out on a date and then she's uncomfortable you're uncomfortable and then everyone just laughs so I don't know if there's expectations more of just different times weirder uh weirder ways to approach things did, did that note thing happen to you was that like a traumatic thing that you were reliving or was that <laughs> experience? I, can't, I wouldn't say that I could think of one specific like oh my god I can't believe this happened but absolutely um I mean yeah notes would get found or caught or you know, you would try and say like something sweet and, and innocent. And then, you know, the girl you're, you sent it to would show her friends and her friends would steal it. And then the friends would show it to your friends. And then, you know, dumb boys be like, oh, you're such a pussy, which, you know, I don't condone using that term, but just in that, in that day. So there, there was always that risk and like, it was forever, you know, like a text message, people delete, it's on your phone. No one really sees it, but I'm, I bet you there's like a box somewhere in our pa- parents' basement that just has a bunch of notes from like junior high and high school. <laughs> I really love that because I feel like, I mean, you're, you're six years older than me, but I feel like my age group grew up as technology was growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess everybody technically is growing up with technology, but like, I feel like it was happening all while I was in school. Cause I remember like you getting notes from girls all the time. And yeah, I, that's I, right. I all the time. I think your, uh, your memory of that is slightly skewed, but, uh, yeah, like I said, there's probably a shoebox somewhere in there that in the house that uh, has some uh, incriminating uh, messages. But yeah, but I remember the notes, and then I remember like mixtapes, and then like people burning CDs for for people, not you, but for oh, man, burning CDs was uh, I was a wild technology back in the day. I would say like I remember the beginning of internet, and I, I like you probably you would have just naturally had internet your entire life, right? Yeah, well, dial up. Yeah, that's Di- right. Yeah, dial up. But, but I, I, re- I remember the first time I went to a buddy's house. His name was Jimmy. And uh, he was probably my my first best friend as a, as a young kid, like under 10 or so. And uh, I went to his house and he had a fancy computer and his dad was kind of like a video game nerd. And he was playing a baseball game. And, uh, and I told him to pause it. And he's like, I can't pause it. I was like, what do you mean you can't pause that? that game and uh he's like oh, i'm playing with someone i was like like the computer he's like no like a real person and like looking around the room i was like a 10 year old kid maybe like looking around like what do you mean you're playing with someone he's like someone's on the other side and i just remember having this like mind-blowing moment like that is a memory that has stuck with me my entire life of like the first time i found out what the internet was and it was someone playing really shitty baseball game on the computer and you know shortly after that you know msn was really kind of the that was the big thing. MSN Messenger, like everyone run home, log onto your computer, piss off your parents, and then just sit there and waiting. And then you'd see like your crush pop up and you'd be like, do I message them? Do I not message them? And then everyone plays like, you know, games with like they're changing their names to try and get get the attention. And 
it's just interesting to see like the different the different trends but like the transition from notes to kind of that virtual note and then you know text messages and, and now I look at tinder and, and having some friends that deal with online dating and even now tinder's kind of outdated right like it's I'm so glad I didn't have to deal with that <laughs> I think Ali and I probably once a week look at each other and just like God, I'm glad we didn't have to online date. <laughs> it's a mess. Honestly, that MSN thing brought me back because I remember in eighth grade, I think I had my first like big real crush and I would like log in and log back in. So he would see that I was online until he would say hi, which like, I, oh, yeah. I that was a that was a, t- a strategy too, right? Just, just so you could see someone pop up or like so-and-so is logged in. So you just like log out, log in, log out, log in and hope that they would click you. Yeah, it, it worked a couple times, but um, he's married now to someone else. So obviously did not work that well. Uh, his loss. Um, <laughs> but, you know, expectations, like just the, the normal traditional stuff of like the guy's got to ask first. And then there was like, you had to make a move. And I mean, it's just terrifying. It's terrifying as a young, young guy. And how do you feel about the whole paying on the first, the paying on the first date thing? Like guys pay on the first date. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist where I don't like, I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's also a, a, a level of, if it's like a baseline expectation for, for who I'm going on a date on and then they exploit it, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't really like this. But I mean, I, you know, Ali and I's relationships, I'm a little bit skewed now. We've been together for eight years and, you know, both have successful careers and have flip flopped and who makes more money. So we joke about who gets to be the stay at home uh, parent to our dogs. I haven't quite won that one yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the paying for things is there was a stress there. And then, and then like, we didn't have cars, right. You're, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. And you're like going to go to the movies and you get dropped off by your mom or your friend's mom, or you're, you know, telling your parents that you're, I'm going to go to a movie with Jimmy and you know, you're going to see a girl and then they see you in the car and they like wave to you. And then mom's like, Whoa, who's that? And you're like, Oh no, no one. I don't know. <laughs> How did, um, how did mom talk to you about, about dating when she first found out or like did, and did it change like as you got older? Uh, you know, I think one of the, I think one of the benefits that I had and, you know, probably why I'm maybe not as exciting as a, as a young, young teenager learning how to date was, you know, living in a, for the most part, a female dominated environment between (laughs) you and mom. And then, you know, obviously, um, mom's best friend, the smart family and, and, you know, two two girls who are, you know, one and a couple of years older than me. So I, I feel like I was a fairly reasonable douche canoe as a kid. Um, you know, I had a bit of a different perspective. So like being polite and, and understanding not being overly aggressive and assertive, I think is, is really helpful. So I, I feel like I had some unfair advantages there of just knowing how to speak to women or around women all the time. But I definitely saw some friends, you know, struggle with that of like what their, what the bro expectation was like, yeah, you go to get to first base, man, get to first base. And then like, I don't know what baseball is apparently the topic of the night, but like, did you steal second? And like, you look at it and you hear that as like, you know, 12 or 13 year old kid. And, you know, obviously what those bases mean fluctuate depending on how old you are and you know your your experience but it's like it's kind of like yo did you like force yourself on that girl good job bud it's like what a weird concept now right like yeah especially now you're like oh <laughs> so like consent is a, a really important thing and you know I would definitely talked about it and mom you know really really enforced that but there's still those cultural norms now that when you look back in in the 90s and, and early 2000s that you know it, it was just a, it was just so different and it's really not that long ago if you think about it mm-hmm. did um did mom ever have like the sex talk with you or did she have it 
once it was too late. Oh, no, I think I had the sex talk a few times. I would say uh, there there was a, a beaten in fear of if you have a baby, your life is over. And I'm sorry, mom, but that fear still exists. <laughs> it still exists in, in my brain right now. Of I'm not old enough to have a kid. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I don't want kids. Um, mm-hmm. It's not in my plans, but I, there's probably an element to that of being a, a young teenager and you know, learning about sex or starting to, you know, be sexual in some way. And they're like, if you have a kid in high school, your life is over, you can't do this. And it's going to be so hard. And then I was just terrified. Like I have an unreasonable fear of having a kid. Right. That's really interesting. Cause I always like, when I would hear her, even as we got older, like as we became adults or when I was a teenager and you were an adult, I would hear mom just be like, Oh, just use protection and then just send you on your way. But then like she found out that I was making out with people when I was like 17 and slut shamed me and was like, you should have more respect for yourself. And so I always just thought that like you had it so easy when it came to that. But I realized that the fear of getting someone pregnant is terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, I think I was just a lost cause, you know. I was just going to do what I was going to do. And mom, uh, I think mom realized that the the faster or the quicker, sooner she, you know, let go of that, the tightness on that leash to control me. I just kind of naturally calmed down because I was just a defiant shithead, right? You know, mom will probably laugh when she hears this. I'm guaranteed she'll listen to it. But I remember her giving me curfews and I would like, wait, I'm going to show up 15 minutes late just to be a dick, right? And Sit outside. Yeah, I would just, you know, be tardy on my own or and at the same time like I was I had you know my bedroom was in the basement and it was super easy for me to sneak out so it didn't really matter and and I, I have a, a vivid memory of you know being probably 14 or 15 and mom just being like fine like you don't have a curfew do whatever you want it's your life I think thinking that like you know thinking that it would maybe scare me or something to to some degree or I'd make a mistake and then I'd learn my lesson kind of thing and uh once she stopped putting that on me I was just kind of like oh okay I'll I'll come home at a reasonable time I don't need to prove anything cuz I'm a you know defiant jerk for a kid so reverse psychology yeah and maybe that was part of her master plan and I'm st- still haven't figured out until now right but the, the time that it takes to, to, to get there though, too. Right. I mean, I just, I just got older. My priorities changed for, for the most part though. You know, I think I'm still a, a dumb boy in many ways. Um, did anyone ever talk about rules regarding like sex on the first date or like how long you should wait? Uh, I, you know, for mom, it was always about like love and it's someone special and you know, the virginity is, you know, a gift that you give to someone, like all the traditional things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in the moment when mom was having, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. But like, let's say my, I'm not thrilled about my, my experience losing my virginity. And there are definitely times where I look back I'm like, man, I was kind of shitty or that was kind of dumb. Um, like not afraid to admit that like when I lost my virginity, I didn't actually want to have sex. Like, but I just felt like pressured and that it was with an, an older girl she's a couple years older than me and I had friends in the other room who were like put these expectations on me and I remember being there at the end of the bed like well I I guess this is happening and it will really piss mom off because I wasn't prepared didn't have a condom and uh you know went through with it obviously you know used the rhythm method and it it was successful but I don't think I slept for like 
six months after that because I thought that she was going to be pregnant, you know, and, and rationally, I was like, you're okay now. But I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I, uh, I went to the clinic after and got like an STD check because I was just like freaking out. There was so much like pressure and stress around it. Right. And, and I felt I was like disappointed in myself. And I was like, you had one thing, just one thing, use protection. Because that was what mom would always say. And like in that moment, I was like, YOLO. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like it's in your head where you're like, use protection. It's a smart thing to do. But yeah, in the moment, there's all these pressures going on. And then there's like, your body's saying one thing and your head's saying another. And then it's like, ah, like, it, yeah, it's, it's, very a lot <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder than, than people or than parents think, or maybe they do know how hard it is. And that's why they want to like, I think you lose that perspective um, as, as you get older or, you know, it's slightly different and with different generations, but it, it was definitely one of those, one of those moments where like I was young, I was 14 mm-hmm. and the, the girl I was with was 16 or 17. And she was like, I'm on birth control. It's okay. And I was like, I don't even know what birth control is really like what, like I kind of knew. Right. But like, I didn't know, no. And I just remember it, it happening. And then just this dread, like this deep dread that stuck with me for a long time <laughs> after I think well, mom's still I trying don't... to figure out who it was. <laughs> I might've given her enough clues now to figure it out, but <laughs> I love how curious she is. Like she just needs a name. Like she can't just listen to something. Like she needs so many specifics that you're like, that's not that's not the important <laughs> story. Uh, well, I think you know because I uh, I was a little bit secretive when I was when I was younger with mom. Like I share so much more now with with mom than I did when I was when I was a young teenager. Like I was very much my own way. And you know, my dad and I had a, a pretty open conversation. So I was, it was easy to share things with him because he wasn't a, a disciplinary, right? Like my biological dad was more of my friend than, than my dad. And, you know, living with mom, like she was the boss. So I didn't want to tell her I was doing these dumb things. I mean, the reality is like, especially now, and as I'm older and we, we joke about these things with mom, like I wasn't really getting away with as much as I thought I was, but there are definitely still things that, uh, that I got away with that she doesn't know about. When I, so as like we were growing up and stuff and you were dating more, did you get like really scared as I got older, like that I was getting to a dating age? Like what, what was going through your head? Oh, good question. Um, I don't think it scared me, but where it, it started to be like a concerning was like around when you were like 17, 18, like you started getting to that legal age. Cause again, I'm like six years older than you, but then like my friends started noticing you. And like, that was a really weird experience for me. Cause I was like, guys, like you were just always my baby sister. Right. And most of my friends have been my friends since elementary. A lot of my friends, I should say, have been my friends since elementary. So they've known you since you were like a baby, but like, I don't know, there was this weird jump where you went from like this weird, like 12 year old girl to like 18. And then my friends were all like, Oh, hello. I was like, guys, like, can you fuck off please? At least they waited till I was legal. <laughs> well, that's what we'll say for the podcast. But <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> some questionably moral friends, um, you know, that I don't associate with anymore, but like, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I also think too, like we, you and I, I think had a fairly good relationship at, at that age. And like, I don't know, I guess in, in many ways I, I tried to do for you what I had felt that like my dad had done for me where when I was, you know, 12 or 13 and, you know, mom was like, you, Steve, you got to give your son the birds and the bees talk. And my dad, who is 
you know, quite the character on his own. I remember sitting with him in his car and he had like this mid nineties, like Cadillac thing. And like the front seats were like, was like a couch. It was so weird. I don't know why that's coming back to me. And uh, we were sitting in our driveway and he just like looks at me. He's like, all right, your mom told me to have the birds and the bees talk. And I was like, oh, here we go, dad. And he's like, listen, son, there's nothing in this world that you can do that I haven't done nothing. There's no drug. There's no activity. There's like no, nothing with a woman that you can do that I haven't done. So if you have questions, just ask me, I'm not going to like, you know, be mad at you for it. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I'm just going to tell you my experience and let you make an educated decision for yourself. Whether that was the right path or not, I don't know for, for a dad, but it was, it was good to know that like, you know, especially as drugs became, you know, more and more of a thing in my, my teen years, to like go to my dad like hey what about this and you know he would he would talk to me about it and I can make an educated decision and you know sometimes I made a smart educated decision and sometimes I made some dumb educated decisions and but you know I had someone that I could talk to and I felt like that's what I always wanted to be for you is that non-judgmental because I you know I had to I had my own challenges with that right and I didn't want I didn't want to be a source of that for you I guess I don't know if I was successful there but yeah, well, I think it took me a long time to open up, right? Because like, I didn't start really dating until university. And even then, like, I just didn't know who to talk to, because I feel like I grew up with a lot of shame surrounding topics like sex and dating. Um, well, it is way more shameful for women, right? Like you, you mentioned, you mentioned that kind of early in many ways, it still is now. And I, I don't, I, I'm, I think that's getting better, but it, it, it really still isn't. Right. Like, which I, I struggle with because <laughs> like, especially when dudes slut shame, I'm like, let's, let's break this down logically. Your primary objective in life right now, like as a, as a 16 year old boy is like some kind of sexual activity, whether it's like from hand holding to intercourse, right? Like your brain is just like, it is sad, but it's true. Like 90% of the time when I was in school, it was just like girls, 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 girls. And then you find a girl that is like comfortable with that and wants to engage in that with you. And then you're upset that she's willing to do that. But like your primary goal is to find someone that does that. And it's like, well, what's wrong with you, you dumbass? Like, does that make sense? No, that's a really good point. Yeah. And then there's this one guy who had, slept with let's say like I don't know like 15 people whatever and he was like oh does that bug you and I was like not really like it's your life and he was like oh because it would bug me if you did that and I was like okay but like why does it matter oh that bugs me in so many ways I'll never understand the like drive for like oh she's got to be a virgin because like let's be honest my first time having sex I fucking sucked everyone sucks right like why would I want to why would I want to deal with that I want like I want it to be fun and I want someone Like I would want someone that knows what they want and knows how to be pleased and like, and can, can relay that to me so that like, you know, I'm also a giving partner. And I think that communication maybe is just, just maturity, but like, that's Mm -hmm. an impossible thing to, to do with, with someone who's not had that experience before right so it just mm. it just sucks <laughs> I think I think because I have a lot of friends well not a lot of friends I have a few friends that waited for one person or some people who still might be virgins and I think that it's okay not to know but as long as you're open to communicating to learn because some people aren't open to that communication and that's where it gets complicated because you're like in something that you're not enjoying but the other person doesn't know so I think I think it is good to know your body and understand your body but yeah, some people who are waiting, I think as long as like they're willing to communicate, I think it can still. Yeah. My first thought of if a guy, I mean, this is probably a better question for you. Have you ever met a guy who had thought that way and then was actually good at sex? 
Who had thought what way that he was that good? like, no, that, you know, would be disappointed if, if his girlfriend had more than like whatever number he thought was reasonable. Like I, to me, it's, it just screams insecurity, right. Of like, well, maybe the, maybe someone, the 29th guy was like better looking, had nicer abs or a bigger dick than me or knew how to like, you know, please her better. So I can't have that. Like to me, it just screams insecurity. Yeah. Honestly, the people that are more open-minded and who communicate and who don't care about that stuff are better. Yeah, exactly. So if I was you and, and, you know, if I was ever forced to be dating again, I think that would be like, if someone brought that up, like, what's your number? I would just throw out something ridiculous just to see what they would do. And if they were like, oh, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'd be like, all right, that's probably a good thing then. Like, (laughs) moving on. People don't, yeah, that's not something that I think people ask anymore because people are starting to care less. There used to be movies about that, right? Like it's, and that's a a great example of like how culturally we've, we've changed. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk to you about too that I don't know if because I don't know if I've had this conversation really in depth, is that we have some fun mental health issues that run in the family. And the anxiety and depression that I experience affects my dating life like so much. Um, And I was curious if that is something that ever affected you like when you were dating and in relationships and stuff. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Definitely when I was younger and like didn't, you know, fully understand what was going on in my brain. Um, you know, there's definitely like some stigma around like mental health for, for men and, and, you know, not to say that women don't have their own challenges with it either, but it was still very much like a gotta be tough, tough it out, tough it out, tough it out, right. You're fine. You're being a baby or, or whatever. Um, and I think you, you add that on top of, you know, raging hormones and confusion and in general, and it just like amplifies everything. So, you know, I, looking back, like I didn't get diagnosed with, you know, my mental health challenges until university. Right. And that was like a, a transition point for me, I think, in who I, how I saw myself or who I thought I was, you know, cause I skated through, um, high school, right. Like, I, I, it's one of my favorite stories to tell actually when, when people, when I'm interviewing, for example, and they ask about, you know, my experience, cause I was like a C student in high school. And then in university, I was student academic council president. And, you know, in high school, I would fail a test and mom would get mad. So then I would do better on a test and, you know, it was like up and down and, you know, and then getting to university and then realizing like, oh, like you're not just crazy or whatever it's like there you have these things and this is how you can deal with them um learning that I had ADHD in university and then I think about like oh wow what would my life have been if I got diagnosed with that you know in junior high and you know had the ability to to focus um or you know not even necessarily focus but actually like commit myself to to something because I was just so and I still am in many ways of like if I see something and I want to try it I'll do it and I'm not always the best at timing those things together um so there's like a a balance in being able to multitask to an extreme level but um so I, I think you know definitely has an impact on dating and you know it's been great to be able to have those conversations with with Ali you know fairly early 
in uh, in our relationship because I had a you know again a clear understanding of of who I was and I think it's a reflection of maturity and if there are you know younger people listening to to this podcast who you know are in their teenager teen years that like are struggling with that it gets it gets better but it it takes work right like I'm better at speaking what I need or when I want something and and being able to relay that message in a an appropriate way. I think that's like another challenge, right? You go through that phase where you have to start talking about how you're, you're feeling, but you don't know how to talk about how you're feeling. So it doesn't always come out the right way. Right. And, and I'm far from mastering that now it's a, you know, it's a daily, a daily challenge for, for me. And I'm, you know, very lucky that Ali is understanding and supportive um, and, and is now, you know, able to recognize when I'm starting to go into like into a rut or to a more depressive state and she'll just check in, right? Like, how are you feeling right now? What can I do for you? Or do you, and she knows what works for me. She'll be like, Hey, go to the woods. Hey, go ride your motorcycle. Like do these things that, you know, that will, will help you and, and not necessarily, you know, call me out for like, Hey, you're being grumpy or Hey, you're, you know, you're a downer right now. It's like, do something that's going to make you happy. So healthy relationship, I guess. I love that. I like that example of instead of being like, Hey, you're being an asshole being like, you know, how can I help you? Like what's wrong kind of thing. Yeah. I find that. And you, you haven't, I know that you don't drink alcohol and you haven't done that in a while. Yeah. It'd be three years in July. And, you know, honestly, a big, a big part of that was I, you know, addiction runs in our family on, and, you know, for me, I'm on both sides for sure. I'll speak on, on my side. Um, and I was, I was abusing it. Like I drank a shit ton through university and it was like a thing that you, you did. And, you know, as I got older, it was like even more acceptable. And especially as, you know, you get a little bit further in your career and you go from drinking like lucky to having whiskey. Like I was a big whiskey guy and I would come home and I would like, my first thought would be, I'm going to, I'm going to have a glass of whiskey, but I would drink it straight. So like, it's not like here's a rum and Coke or, you know, a Jack and Coke. It was like, here's three ounces of whiskey. And I would drink that when I got home. And then I'd have one when I was like having dinner and then right before bed to the point where my body like was just rejecting it. And I like drank myself to an alcohol allergy. And, you know, I think my late twenties, I was like, oh man, getting old sucks. Like I just, my hangovers are getting worse and worse and worse. And I just, you know, chalked it up to, to getting old to the point where like, I would have one beer with Allie and the next day you'd think that I, you know, I drank like 30 and I was, you know, sick and I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, well, let's talk about how much you drink. Like, yeah, you're allergic to it. Don't do that. Stop drinking and like much better clarity in many ways. And like, I don't, I feel better. Um, I still crave it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm having a bad day. That is my first fucking thought. (laughs) I come home. I was like, just just have, have a glass. Um, But I haven't yet. Although I will occasionally pour one and sniff it, yeah, <laughs> which, which Allie, finds, Allie yeah. finds kind of funny, but there's also a piece that like, I, like, I really like the taste of whiskey. Right. So like I, I'll smell like Allie will pour a glass of wine and, and I'll, I'll, I'll smell her wine and be like, Oh, that, that smells good. And wine was never really that like, um, treatment alcohol for me it was like I just liked wine because it was flavorful and it was actually something that I really enjoyed doing with Allie like it became one of our things we would travel get a local bottle of wine like hang out and talk um so that was like much more of a healthy use but but yeah like whiskey was just like I was angry or I was sad and you know whiskey definitely I was that guy who was like the classic like whiskey drunk right I've done a lot of dumb things, you know, because I was on whiskey. The first night that I met Ali's sister before we were even dating, I was like 
upset about a girl that I was dating at the time. And I was at our, our friend Jim's house and I was, I got drunk on whiskey and Jim like said something to me and it like pissed me off. And I said something back and like, he always, like we always wrestled cause like he's small and I'm big and he always wanted to wrestle me. And like, I was like, I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood. And he like kept pushing and I like threw him through his shed door. <laughs> like, and then I was like, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. And then I just like stormed off and walked home. And then he was like chasing me. Cause he was like, you can't walk all the way home. And I was like, I'm going home. And he like started beaking me some more and I threw a bottle at him and almost hit him. And I look back on this now and I'm like, man, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, and that was, that was, you know, my sister-in-law's first impression of me was here's this giant dude who just like threw his tiny friend through a shed and then like stormed off. Um, so I, you know, I've not quite lived that one down yet, but uh, I think Rach has more or less forgiven me now, but um, you know, those are the things that you don't, you don't realize that you're doing and like being a bigger guy and participating in like contact sports and, and combat sports for the better part of 15 years now that like I was, I wasn't afraid of fighting and that like it would often lead me to that, to that path. So it's interesting. Yeah. Cause alcohol, I think I have a pretty okay relationship with it. Like I know my boundaries now. I mean, I got super drunk at your wedding and dropped a bottle once everyone was gone. So <laughs> That was nice. I, I broke one beer bottle and like everyone was off the dance floor. So I'm like, pretty sure I'm the only one that wasn't super drunk at Allie and I's wedding. Like I, I drove Allie and her parents, like I drove her and my in-laws home after our wedding. It was quite the romantic uh, night after because, you know, Allie, beautiful dress, a billion fucking tiny little buttons. And I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently you know, they were supposed to pack a crochet hook to like help get the buttons out and it got forgotten. And, you know, I had Allie who was like stuck in this dress and was drunk and was like, I want to go to bed, get me out of this thing. And I'm like trying to deal with these tiny little buttons. And she's like, let me go. And I was like, ah, I was like, I'll just rip it. I'll just, I'll just tear the buttons. Like you're never going to wear this again. She's like, no, don't ruin my dress. Don't ruin my dress. It's like, you're never going to wear it again. Still hanging in her closet, but I saved all those buttons somehow. Right. So now she can wear it again if she wants to. If she wanted to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to bring up is that, so I, I like some, when I was younger, I would kind of get out of control with alcohol and I would like make out with people that I probably shouldn't have, but I've never like drunk texted anyone. I, so I respond to people when I'm drunk that I'm already talking to, but I'd never drunk texted someone until like two months ago. And I woke up and I read the text and I was like, oh my God. Cause I've never done that where like another human being comes out of me and sends this message. And Are I you was embarrassed because like, of the content or embarrassed of the sentence structure. It's actually the grammar was incredible. So I'm embarrassed because I, it was someone that I had had like a thing with for two years that I finally just decided to set boundaries with. Mm-hmm. And I had set these boundaries and then I got drunk and sent him a text that was like, I miss you. And so that I was more angry at myself about like the context. Cause I was like, Oh, you shouldn't like you ask for boundaries and you ask for space. And then you're just like a drunk mess. What so, did they say back to you? Um, he was fine. I apologize the next morning. Cause he doesn't drink and he's never been, he's never drank before. So he doesn't know that. that mm, feeling. I think I know who this is and I don't like him. Yeah. I don't like him either. Um, for context, it is sport check from previous episodes. But he, yeah, I was like, just letting you know that I miss you, even though you're a fucking liar. <laughs> and I woke up and I was like, I'm really sorry about that drunk text. And he was like, it's okay. Like, I miss you too. Hope you're doing well. And I was like, cool. Um, and then I blocked him on all my social media. Cause I was like, I can't, <laughs> I 
can't do, I can't keep doing this. Oh yeah, drug <laughs> test. Yeah, but that's the only time I've ever done that. So I'm like, it's not the worst. I cry a lot. Like when I'm not, when I have like internal heartbreak that I'm dealing with, once I start drinking, I'll be crying in a bathroom somewhere. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not to speak for you by, by any means, but I feel like for, for me, part of that was because I didn't really invest in why I was feeling that way. So like when you're drunk and you kind of lose those, like you become less self-conscious. And I think that applies to like social settings with other people. Like they say alcohol is a social lubricant and you're like, feel more confident um, or whatever. But I think it also like shines that light inwards as well. So that's why you like, you know, build up those emotions more. And then once I started, you know, working on myself and addressing like really what was going on it that's what made it easier easier not easy but easier (laughs) easier is is the yeah the guide to life oh yeah okay so what's something I know we talked in the beginning a bit about like expectations for men what's something um that you wish people would consider when they talk about like masculinity or what like being a man is or means it sounds really fucking cheesy and in some ways it is but I think like I think having more men be confident in saying like how they feel or or admitting that like I'm not doing well or I'm dealing with you know x y or z and I think also like supporting other other men but in the same way like slapping them on the hands when they're being assholes you know that that's something that Allie and I have talked a lot about too with like the challenges you know she faces being a, a woman in a male dominated industry and I'm a male in, in a female dominated industry. And in many ways, like we deal with a lot of the same things, you know, reverse. I mean, her situations are, are a lot more extreme in my opinion, but the importance of like, if a guy or someone, anyone is being an asshole, tell them that they're being an asshole, but do it in a way like, Hey, that's not really that cool. Or, you know, one of the things I think I've found a lot of enjoyment in is, if someone says something dumb, like explain that to me. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. I struggle with that, like, and toxic masculinity of like, oh, don't be gay, dude. I was like, well, what does that mean to you? Like, yeah, gay means if- happy, technically, right? So, <laughs> yeah, like, don't like, be happy. <laughs> I've actually found that maybe it's just because of the people that I date. Um, but I find that like men are a lot more open to experimenting or just being more open about talking about it about situations you know because I've had a couple people like open up to me about situations that they've had with other men and like it doesn't bug me I think it's it's something that is good to be like open about um yeah and just become it's getting better I think now that it's like more and more public and acceptable and by no means saying that you know people who are, who are gay like don't have an easy time and by no means like saying that it's completely fine like they have an unfortunate amount of struggles but it is it is getting better and I think the more that like guys see you know not that I'm um, a role model or example in any way but like I'm six foot three I'm like 210 pounds I'm covered in tattoos some of them may be a little homoerotic to some people's view but like that I'm okay like kissing my guy friends right or like you know, or for, or going further for whatever reason, um, that people see that like, that's, it's not, it doesn't, that's not a big deal. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's like attraction and then there's like, it's just like me being done with like Mike and I have literally showered together in a, in a non-sexual way. Like we live together and it was like, I was in the shower and he had to get to work and he like got in the shower. Part of it is because I've known him since grade four, right? Like I've seen him naked so many times it like doesn't even register but I think you know a lot of guys and some of in our inner friend group 
we're not as comfortable with that and then get weirded out by that. And it's just like, it's just a, it's just a penis. I don't know. 50% of the world has one <laughs> some mm-hmm. way. Right? Like, yeah, it's actually like, um, cause I know that we went to the same university at different times. Um, but I know there was a lot of like communal showers in the guys dorms. Yeah. Like, was that a thing? Yeah, I was, I was in the building that did have like, we had partitions um, and there's some pros and cons to that for sure. But like, I mean, that wouldn't say that those were firm barriers because we used to play a lot of dumb games, like sliding under, like who could slide on their back, which is really gross now if you think about it in like a guy's dorm, the shower floor. And you'd be like, you'd like lay on your back and grab like your stall and like throw yourself and try and slide to the other side and like see everyone as you go under like the the things. Or we would go over to the other building and shower and like, I don't know, if you play sports too, like you're used to showering with dudes, right? Like in in high school, played football. We had a that the football locker room was like the shower was just a one giant shower with like fifteen shower heads. So like after practice, everyone just got naked and went in the shower. And sometimes you'd share a shower with a dude. Like it was you're in a rush to get home, right? But if you don't have those experiences, I think that like that was that was something you definitely see with with a lot of a lot of people, you know, at Graceland or even now, like guy friends that never played team sports that like weren't used to being naked around other guys. That it is just like oh, I got to cover myself up kind of thing. That's actually a really interesting thing that I just realized in that conversation was I think a lot of men, I mean, men still face judgment um, and have body issues and stuff, but a lot of, a lot of the ones, a lot of the men that I know are like very comfortable with their bodies and they're less judgmental of other men. And I find that women are kind of the opposite. Like this is just a generalization too. It's not everybody, but I find that women are the opposite. And I like wonder if we were raised with communal showers in the same way, if it would be different. Like, I know we have to do a lot more in the shower than other people, but you know, it's just an interesting thought. Yeah. I think just, it's uh, probably a cultural thing and and what you're used to right like I mean don't get me wrong when you're a young kid and you like go to a soccer tournament and you're like I'm gonna go shower and it's you know you're like oh there's it's a shower and you're kind of like oh do I get naked what do I do but like also being like a I remember being a young kid going swimming with my dad and like I don't know if that's still a thing because I don't remember the last time I've been to a swimming pool but like I remember being a kid and going to like Grand Trunk swimming pool and it was like after people went to the pool you'd go and you'd shower and just dudes would be naked right and I remember like being really young and being like oh this is a little bit weird maybe but then we're like whatever it's just like someone really wants to look they're gonna look right like you can't I can't control that but like I can do my thing and, and whatever right so I, it's, I think it's a combination of of experience but like body issues are, are a real thing and it's something that I've definitely dealt with and you know, for a long time, like being kind of fit in high school and then gaining and being 300 pounds and then losing it all and then gaining it all back and then, you know, losing it again. Like it's still something I struggle with. And, you know, Ali has to like remind me because, you know, I'd have six pack and I'd still feel fat, right? Like it's once you, once you're fat, it's so easy to like always remember fat John and like always make that that connection, um, which is not healthy in, in many ways for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I think, I think accepting that like, yeah, guys can have body issues too. And guys can be uncomfortable with things or not like the way my hips look or like this weird little like bit of skin that I can never get rid of no matter what. And I think, you know, the more that guys talk about that and, and even if it's like kind of joking about it, but like also, you know, can open with a joke, but lead like finish with support, if that makes sense. 
I think is where I found a lot of success with, you know, dealing with my own issues, but also I think helping with some friends if I recognize that they're struggling with something that, you know, I've maybe seen before or experienced myself. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Like just making it aware that, that men deal with these issues as well. Like these body, yeah, these issues of body image and body dysmorphia and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a mental reminder now for me, but it would have been 2000 and. 11 it was probably right after I graduated Graceland and I had lost like 100 pounds and I was going to good life not too far from from our parents house and they had like a fancy body fat machine and whatnot and I was working out like three hours a day and I like was obsessed like thinking I was fat and I went and I still have the slip because like the first it was like probably an unhealthy like token and now it's like a good reminder of like stood on that scale and I did like the went into like the body fat measuring machine thing. And it was like, came out like 208 pounds and I was 7% body fat. And I was like, I felt fat. And I didn't want to wear it. Like, didn't want to take my shirt off. And like, that became like this thing of like, I need to be better. I need to be better. I need to be better. And now I look back and I'm older and I'm like, oh man, that was, that was fun. And like, but now it's a good reminder of like, don't, don't focus also on numbers, focus on how you feel because December I was 185 pounds and was fairly shredded. And I felt like shit and that like fucked with me too. And now I'm like 210 pounds and like, I feel healthy. I compete better. I move better. Like my, my brain is better. Cause I'm not starving myself. Like Do you think that starving yourself to be one eight, like just remember being like, oh yeah, my sister who's like five, seven weighs 150 pounds and you don't want to weigh the same as me. But, but that's, you know what, like what's fucked up is everyone says like, Oh, you're t- like the amount of times that I got called, you're too skinny, you're too skinny. Um, but then you watch a show and like Thor, what's his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Chris, uh, Chris, Hem- Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see him with his shirt off and, and everyone's like, oh my God, he's so beautiful. I was like, why am I too skinny? Like, how am I too skinny? If like, we look the same. But like you're saying I'm too skinny, but like it's okay if it's on a movie and like it's just it's it's a weird that's a weird dynamic for guys where there's like this expectation where you're going to be like shredded for the beach, but then like fat and cuddly when you get home and like you can't have both, at, you know, in the same day, you kind of have to pick, uh, you know, and Ali, you know, she, lucky for her, she gets like that whole gambit because she when Ali and I first started dating, I was that 208 pounds and like 7% body fat. Mm-hmm. And then I got in a car accident and I went all the way back up to like almost 300 pounds. So she got like super Jack John to fat John. And then now back to, you know, at one point, probably too skinny John to be fair. But even now at like 205, 210, people still say I'm too skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, I- how does that make sense? Like the model male body is like, Chris Hemsworth, Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, like, mm-hmm. which is borderline un- unattain- unattainable for like the average guy. Yeah. So, like it's not I, to the same degree for women, but for guys, it, it's Hollywood fucks up guys too. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's messed up people. I mean, nothing's ever good enough, right? It's like you weigh too much or you don't weigh enough or you are too skinny or you're too fat or you don't have a six pack or whatever. But I think as long as you're eating and taking care of yourself, you know, while building the body that you want, that's okay. But I just, yeah, I just don't want you to not eat, <laughs> you know? Well, it's the right, you got to have the right motivation, right? Yeah. No, I'm glad we got to talk about this. Cause I, yeah, I wanted to, like a male perspective on mental health and like body issues, which all kind of relate to dating 
at the end of the day too and your romantic life and how your relationships with other people like that all affects they all affect each other so yeah I mean there's uh, and I definitely not like I don't want to come off as like oh poor man we have it hard too because like in the grand scheme of things like we do but it's not the same and <laughs> I wouldn't say as as hard in, in many ways but I think there there is definitely a, an element still of like it's not okay for it's not as okay for men to not be be okay or to to admit that like hey like yeah I have body dysmorphia and I'm a, like I have manic depression and I have ADHD like my brain is fucking wild sometimes and sometimes it's really boring right like and those highs and lows are really difficult to deal with and it can be difficult for your partner but I think you know Ali and I's relationship being able to and in many ways she'd like help pull a lot of that out of me because I had not shared any of that with any any of the the you know women I dated prior to like it, I just I was who I was and I dealt with it and, and not in a healthy way and in, in every situation and I think part of that is finding the right person for you and I know that like Ali and I have very different love languages and it weirds people out sometimes because we are so like polar opposite but we also get each other and I think that like people are constantly searching for that like Hollywood romance and the healthiest relationships at least from my perspective are never that but it's like having someone that you can sit down and and have those conversations with and call you out when you're being an asshole and hug you when you need a hug, right? Like that's basically like Ali and I's focus for each other. Just keep each other in check, but support each other.